With TXU Energy Season Pass, you save 50% all winter and summer long. It's predictable savings for unpredictable Texas weather. That's a big deal, right, Texas weather? Oh, I love being unpredictable. You enjoying a 65-degree December day? Sleet storm! Or in the summer? Whoo! Heat index of 111! (laughs) (laughs) Yep unpredictable hailstorm just kidding predictable savings during unpredictable seasons season pass only from txu energy tap the banner now to learn more Hey, Merry Christmas. Thanks for joining us today. You're listening to Society Bites Radio. I'm your host, Dr. Richard Himmer. And I'm Sherry Himmer, and this is Authentically You, social interaction for the mind and soul. So in this segment, for the next 25 minutes, we're going to talk about the importance of seeing things empathetically, seeing things contextually, learning how to be neutral when we look at things instead of going by tradition, reactive, uh, immaculate perception, prediction error. So much offense is going on in the world today. So much trust has been broken because of how we choose to look at things. We're hoping that as you're listening to these segments, because we're now in our fourth segment explaining this, that you're starting to get an appreciation for not only the symbolism of Christmas, the symbolism of Santa, but really the story behind the story. And we're bringing in some cultural and historical aspects that come from the Hebrew traditions that don't usually seep into our American traditions and going deeper with them. I've always appreciated how it's made me think differently about what maybe happened. If, can I be more empathetic when I look at that Christmas story, but also what does it mean to me now? It, it the meaning comes, has more richness to it because I understand a little bit about these historical Hebrew traditions and where we left off in the last segments, we were describing the traditional Hebrew wedding betrothal process and the negotiations um, between the father of the groom and the father of the bride and the opportunity for the bride to um, seal the contract or the ketubah by partaking of the wine that was set before in a goblet. And, And so just that commitment level that women were treated as property, but they did have a say um, historically, and of course, that doesn't happen for women today. But just that symbolism of what are we willing to commit to, and um, and what things do we make commitments to? Exactly. So let's pick up the story at the point where the 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 girl has drank the wine. Yeah. She's accepted the terms that's going on, and now the her now bridegroom's family will pay her dad the uh, mohar right the bride and, price. and the terms of that ketubah could be very um personalized they and are specific and right and they were even are you going to read one uh yeah i'm going to read the one i wrote for my son but we're going to actually share some of the ketubah okay. stuff that actually happened back in those days yeah, historically so let's let's now take a little bit of a left turn to explain contextually 
how this ties into a story that you've everybody's heard. It's the parable of the ten virgins. Mm -hmm. But I've rarely heard it contextually put into a Hebrew perspective. So the parable of the ten virgins is, in a nutshell— um, Got ten virgins. They have ten virgins, and they're waiting for the bridegroom to come and pick up his wife to get married. But not one of them. They're they're just friends. They're friends. Remember, we said that she has witnesses watching this go on. Well, what happens is the the boy goes back to his father's mansion and builds onto his mansion. So he's building his own place, and it takes about a year. And the only person who knows when he's going to come back to get his wife to do the second marriage, which is under the canopy, according Not to the second Hebrews. second marriage, you mean like the, the actual marriage? The actual marriage, but it's called the second ceremony. The first ceremony is when and, she drank the wine okay. and signed the ketubah. So they go back, write the ketubah, then messengers come and she signs the ketubah, which we'll read one, which is the covenant, the contract they have between the two. Um, then, then every now and then, while he's building the home, messengers are sent to her. Hey, this is what's going on. What color do you want the drapes? How do you want this room done? And she sends messages, and her friends go to the building and give reports on this is what's going on. This but is how far they've not. gone. She does not. They don't so, see each other yeah, for the, the year. Bride and groom don't right. see each other. But her friends, her witnesses, are the constant messengers. And the sons, the boys friends are the groom. say the groom the groom yeah. the groom's friends the witnesses are also relaying messages and so there's this constant conduit now think about this from a hebrew standpoint they're the prophets they're the rabbis they're the teachers of people god is sending them constant message remember god in this case is the bridegroom well the bridegroom in this case is simply her husband it's just a metaphor mm -hmm. and so the metaphor is playing it out all right now it gets time for him to come. And this is where the parable of the ten virgins happens. And it says, and the bride and the groom tarried, which means he's a little late. Now, according to the tradition, it's going to be a Thursday night around midnight, according to the tradition. And then all of a sudden, noise and fireworks and clanging and banging. And it's like a parade going through the street. The bridegroom is coming to get the bride. Here's the thing. Nobody knows except the father when the son's going to complete his mansion. In my father's house are many mansions. Nobody knows when the son, the, the, the groom, is going to come to get the bride except the father, which is exactly what the Jews believe when the Christ comes. Okay, so he comes through the street, and he's coming to get his wife. Now, in order to be a participant in the ceremony under the canopy, you have to have a candle. In order to have a candle... You have to have, um, where's our? Oh, the oil lamps. The oil lamps. They're in the dining room. Okay, in the oil lamps. And that oil lamp has to be filled with oil in order for the wick to stay lit. She has 10 friends. Five were ready. Five were not. The five that were ready were engaged. They were part of that process. And I kind of feel like the other five didn't have a clue because they really weren't part of the process. They weren't doing their part of Beautiful. being the messenger, right. doing what normally that friend would do. Their so, friend by name only. So what happens is the five who didn't have the oil go to the friend who did say, hey, give us some of your oil. And they go, no, 7-Eleven's open. Get your own oil. We'll meet you at the party. So they go, they get in the parade, they dance and, and everything. They get to the father's house, and there's a gate to enter into the father's courtyard. 
that gate is manned by a gatekeeper. There were a lot of thieves and robbers back in those days. The gatekeeper closes the door when the last person comes in. And as the parable goes, the five unwise, the five foolish virgins now show up after having run to the store to get oil and they knock on the door. But this is how the, the process works in those days. They knock on the door and the gatekeeper says what is wanted or who is there. And the five virgins don't say, hey, let us in. They simply say, it is I, because he says, who is there? He has to recognize their voice through familiarity, so if they but not by name. So spending time, then they he won't. And they them. say, it is I. And he says, I don't know you. Go away. Oh, what's the metaphor? When we get to the judgment bar, do we know God? That's the metaphor to a Jew, to a Hebrew, mm -hmm. and to a Christian. But it started in the New Testament. Okay, so there's your metaphor. It's connected with that process, the Hebrew wedding ceremony. All right, now, when we, we talked a little bit about the bitter cup, let's hit that really quick. The penalty for sexual relations after the betrothal and before the consummation is death by drinking the bitter cup. It was never enforced. It was replaced by stoning. But in any Christian religion, you're going to hear the term the bitter cup, but I've never heard it explained, at least in my upbringing, until I started reading it. So this is kind of how it works. Now I'm going back to the Exodus story. And the Lord called Moses out of the mountain, saying, Thus shalt thou say to the house of Jacob, and tell the children of Israel, Ye have seen what I did to the Egyptians. Now, therefore, if ye will obey my voice and keep my covenant, then ye shall be a peculiar treasure unto me above all people, and ye shall be unto me a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. And the people saw the betrothal process as it was and drank the wine. And they said, yea, we will do that. So now we've got this metaphoric marriage between Jehovah, the God of the Old Testament, and the children of Israel. And, they, and therefore, Moses went back up to the top of Sinai to get the ketubah. And the things with respect to the ketubah are food, clothing, and necessities. That's written in there, very specific. So the ancient ketubah has that. I will provide you with food, clothing, and necessities. Two, I will redeem you if you ever taken captive. That was common. Kidnapping and holding for ransom. Because the story of Abraham. Mm -hmm. It's all that way. Sariah was kidnapped. Right. Yeah. Three. I will live with you as a husband according to the universal custom, sexual relations. And, and that so, was defined by often the bridegroom's by their work. Um, right. occupation. So Jewish legal rules legislated the minimal frequency of sexual relations based on profession. Mm -hmm. So here we go. If you are independently wealthy, you had daily sexual relations. If you were a laborer, twice a week. If you were an ass driver, once a week. Well, benefits are getting less, I guess. And if you're a sailor, <laughs> twice a year. So, um, now scholars... Choose your profession carefully. Scholars were weekly on Friday night, which I termed the original date night. <laughs> okay, it's getting a little, a little weird. Okay, so, <laughs> now, let's go down to the bitter cup. We talked about that a little bit. The penalty for violating this covenant, this wedding proposal of adultery is death. 
by the bitter cup, by which the meant bitter you cup. drank from this bitter cup. But yes. what was a bitter cup? Exactly. So my computer would function. By law, Israel's broken covenant was punishable by death. They committed spiritual adultery. And God explained to Moses that he would kill them all, start over. Remember, Moses argued with them um, and convinced God not to kill them all, but you know, over 3,000 did die. Now, let's make a quick connection. Yeah. So in the Garden of Gethsemane, in Matthew, Jesus is quoted as saying, And he went a little further and fell on his face, saying, O my Father, if it be possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, not as I will, but as thou wilt. What's the cup he's referring to? Well, in this case, the cup is the bitter cup. He's taking on him the sins of all mankind. Of his bride. Of who committed adultery, spiritual adultery. They went after a different God. They didn't keep the commandments. They did not accept Christ as Jesus as the Christ. He took upon himself that sin. Just, and, and if we understand in the entirety of the Christmas story, the process is all about do we remember why we have a Christ? He was born for the intent purpose to be crucified with the intent purpose to cover our sins because we're, we're not worthy of coming back into the presence of God. So making a little bit of fun out of this, not in making fun of, but in the spirit of the ketubah, I've written two ketubahs for my two of my children, and there'll be a third one when my final child gets married. But this was the one I wrote. We read it to them right after the breakfast. You know, we, they get married, and then it's before the wedding or the um, what comes after the wedding? The that honeymoon? No, the party that everyone reception. has. The reception. Yeah, I don't like receptions. <laughs> I try to avoid them at all costs. Okay, so here's one that I wrote just to get give you the idea. Um, it's called the Ketubah and the Rules of Engagement. Dear, and it was to one of my daughters-in-law, this contract of marriage is to confirm your acceptance as a steward of our personal property known as, and then I say my son's name, well, steward. You hereby accept said property as your responsibility for maintenance, sustenance, discipline, continued training, organizing, monitoring, and giving and receiving happiness of the emotional physical and spiritual nature. So I have to just intersect that this um, kind of became a fun tradition for us when our sons got married, but it really started back with my father who mm -hmm. didn't write a ketubah, but he yeah, had four he daughters, did. but in a way he did because he wrote a receipt. Yes. And he actually, and I tried to sue him once and he showed me the receipt and I lost. <laughs> <laughs> but the receipt would describe his daughter. He described me like a dog, like, Blonde, shiny coat, likes hot showers. Like he, he was all in it was fun very and funny. Just, it was, and then he read it at at our wedding brec our uh -huh. wedding lunch. We got a picture of it, of right? And then he would give a, a, literally a key, a big brass key, yep. is the key to my heart. But he kind of always described us like dogs because my dad loved dogs. Not, then, as, not as not as no, a, not that, yeah. But and he, he gave to it to me numerous. in an as is fashion. Yeah, yeah, not returnable. Right. And in as-is condition. Right, because yeah. uh, with my other brother-in-law, Tom, who's an attorney, we tried to sue him one day at, we were at. Jokingly. We were at a, a Sunday school dinner, or a Sunday dinner. And I said, Dad, I need to sue you. And he says, why? He says, because you didn't teach any of your daughters any sports. They have no eye-hand coordination. And Tom goes, here, here, I'll take your case, Rich. <laughs> and, and so 
I'm laying out my case, right? And my father-in-law is there just smiling at me. And I should have known better then. But as soon as he goes, well, Rich, I knew I was in trouble. Yeah. He goes, do you remember the contract about as as is basis, non-returnable? And then Tom goes, I'm off the case. (laughs) So I lost my case before I got going. Okay, to continue. You accept every unique idiosyncratic behavior freely as well as his talents, skills, humor, and unique abilities. If there is anything virtuous, lovely, praiseworthy, or of good report, he probably got it from his mother. If there's anything antithetical to said virtues, he got them on his own, at least for the most part. Our son comes with a no-refund and no-return policy. Furthermore, his parents cannot be liable for any deficiencies you did not discover during the courting process. You accept him off the Himmer farm in an as-is condition. Regular maintenance can be performed on major holidays, such as Christmas and Thanksgiving, but maintenance is not required annually, only suggested. Periodic visits to your farm of origin is welcome. And by the way, that entire family is flying out here for Thanksgiving. Yeah, we're, we're very excited. Away. So excited. So that's kind of the idea. Yeah. We, we gave, we read a ketubah for her. We read a ketubah for our fourth. And it really started form. with my dad. Yeah. So funny traditions that we like to think about where they came from and build on our own. So let's go into Joseph. He's a carpenter by trade in a small village. He made his living by reputation. All people would know he violated the covenant and Mary's virtue. His reputation would be damaged later in life. Remember, we mentioned this. Um, It says, are you not the carpenter's son, meaning the bastard child? Okay, so where was Jesus born? Oh, wait a minute. I got to finish the... I, my, my apologies. I got carried in the ketubah. I have to finish the parable of the ten virgins. Okay. Here's what's going on. So when the, the ten virgins got there to the door, everyone's in having the party. They're under the canopy. They're having the actual official ceremony, and they knock on the door. And the, uh, the gatekeeper simply says, um, I don't know you. I'm just emphasizing this. It's because they never went there and visited. They didn't go to the father's house. They didn't go to church. They didn't, they didn't go to the temple. Their, they didn't do friendship duties, right. basically. They did not connect and commune with the Father. You can't know someone if you don't have correspondence with someone. Prayer, meditation, studying, reading, being a good person. Just, Sharing space. Yeah. All the little things that come with being a virtuous person, having a principle-based life. That's kind of mm-hmm. the gist of it. All right. Um, okay, where was Jesus born? So we talk a lot about, about the stable. All the songs or the pictures are about the stable. This is where it came from. In 1223, St. Francis of Assisi organized the first live nativity scene. The stable and the manger were shown as wood with cattle and horses. Now, there's also a version called the caravansary courtyard version, which is kind of stemming off of the St. Francis of Assisi. So the idea of a stable and manger and wood is based off the caravansary, and it'll explain what a caravansary From, is. Well, I've got a picture of it up on the screen right now, and my bride's gonna explain this so, to you guys. Um, a Hebrew caravansary was basically a place for travelers. It's a hotel. Was not made out of wood because they didn't have a lot of wood in Palestine and in Bethlehem and in Jerusalem they had a lot of stone. And so this one we're seeing an example of is made out of stone. 
and it has a big open courtyard, which is where the animals would have been kept. Animals weren't kept in wood stables. And off of the courtyard are lots of little rooms, which would have been, so think of like your old time motel, you had an outdoor entrance off of a parking lot. Right. But this is a courtyard for animals, your transportation, a place for them to be, and then you would have a little doorway um, for your room, which was stone. And that's what a caravansary was. So yeah. when we talk about like no room at the inn, an inn is more of a caravansary, but that is not even the correct translation. No, the inn, the way we're saying it, they whereas people are thinking of that, and that's not accurate. That didn't even exist. That but was later. it wasn't later. even wood. Right. So get rid of that. That actually wood. came later. So some things we need to take into consideration that are not in the no room in the inn story is what, and this is the private home version, what is the hospitality of the Jews like? So We have so to understand many, yeah, that. So many times in the scriptures, you have people meeting and gathering in private homes. Like you think about Mary and Martha. Martha's out there getting food. It, it was um, the hospitality culture and traditions was based off of that. You must take care of guests. It's a shame. It is like against Jewish law right. to not take care of a guest. So we have to know the role of the extended family. And then we're going to introduce to you called the Cataluma version. So it did not happen in a caravansary. As a matter of fact, there were no caravansaries at that time in Palestine. So Jesus was not born in an inn. He wasn't born, born in, in the that the, the in word is, is an accurate word. It's that we're translating it as caravansary and it was not designed. It's translated as a cataluma. That's the difference. Okay. What is a cataluma? And so let me read it to you. The Greek word for in is cataluma, Luke 2 and 7. Not the Greek word for caravansary, which is used in the Good Samaritan story of Luke 10, 34. They're two different places, but they use the English word yeah. in. There is no evidence of any caravansaries in Bethlehem. But, when, but as Americans, when we think of an inn, we think of a hotel. Yeah. Like, this is a place where you pay to they stay. They did not go door to door. They did not go to Airbnb, Airbnbs right. or VRBOs. They didn't go door to door trying to find a place because they got there at the last minute. They got there far earlier because Joseph had time to actually build his manger, his um, stone. St the stone manger, right? So a cataluma is also translated as guest chamber and refers to the upper room in a private home, no, a la this is Last not, Supper. Right. And this is not an Airbnb. It's not um, a personal, pers a, a private home that is renting out a room either. This is a family home, but it would have been the family home from the lineage of David. These would be family members. They know Joseph and they know Mary. They would have also been privy to the story going on. The guest room is where the master suite is, the master bedroom would be. But it's also where, because this is there to be registered, right? Because you gave right? the best to your guests. They always gave the best to the guests. However, in this case, where Mary's with child, the guest room would have had a lot of people in it. So when the scriptures say there's no, there was no room in the inn, there was no room in the cataluma, there was no room in the large, spacious guest room. In the Cataluma. Well, does Cataluma mean house? Cataluma no. means the guest. That's why I said there was no room in the right. guest room. But the overall idea is, yes, Sherry, you're correct. So picture um, if you were to draw a triangle or a rectangle mm -hmm. and go left to right, on the far left is going to be the stable. 
where the animals are kept, and it's going to be three to five steps below ground level. Ground level. Then you've got the living room, the family room, and the the area, the wall that separates the stable and the family room are placed two mangers. They're feeding troughs for the animals. So the animals kind of had like a half wall yeah. um, that they could reach over and eat from, and their heat, their body heat would warm the house. Exactly So right. it wasn't like they were out in the backwoods or detached from the house. They were part of the main house. So they kept they, they kept them there, one, for, for they don't want them stolen, but it also warmed the home. Mm -hmm. And so what happened was when um, Joseph and Mary went to their ancestral home, Luke 2, 6, while they were there, the days were accomplished that she should be delivered. They arrived far in advance. He didn't come at the last minute. The guest room, Cataluma, was full of relatives. They went below to the family stable. They cleaned it out. A midwife would have helped them deliver the child. Now, how do we know that? The tradition. The tradition. The tradition. Hebrew tradition, but right. it's not in the scriptures. Right. Okay. So... We've got a picture of the actual traditional site where we believe the Savior was born. It was in Bethlehem. Um, and the, and we're going to just do one more minute on this one, and we'll close up for this one. The history of this home where Jesus was born goes way into the past. Now, this is now the huge church that's in, in Bethlehem. Bethlehem. It's right. part Catholic, part Greek Orthodox. Yeah. And, and, and you go downstairs. basically identified it. And you go downstairs. It's like to in get the to, basement. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It was originally the home of Boaz of Moab, who was a wealthy man, and Boaz married Ruth. Then Obed was born there. Jesse and King David were also born there. This was the traditional birth site for their family, so the reason why Mary and Joseph went there, really. Because they had to be registered in the land of their origin where they actually came from. The house of David owned the land even until the time of Christ's birth. When David became king of Israel, he built a fortress over the house of Boaz. When Joseph and Mary arrived at the home and accepted the stable, which was their own property, Mary gave birth on the very spot where, according to legend, David was crowned king of the shepherds. We're going to do one more segment. It's and a bonus gonna, segment. And, and we're we'll going to do it more about the shepherds at the Savior's right. birth. So thanks for, so much for listening. In the next segment, we're going to talk to you, how did the shepherds find the baby Jesus born in Bethlehem? And according to tradition, he wasn't the only child born that night. And they didn't use a compass and they didn't have a smartphone. See you then. With TXU Energy Season Pass, you save 50% all winter and summer long. It's predictable savings for unpredictable Texas weather. That's a big deal, right, Texas weather? Oh, I love being unpredictable. You enjoying a 65-degree December day? <laughs> Sleet storm! Or in the summer, whoo, heat index of 111! <laughs> <laughs> yep. 
unpredictable. Hailstorm! Just kidding! Predictable savings during unpredictable seasons. Season Pass. Only from TXU Energy. Tap the banner now to learn more. With TXU Energy Season Pass, you save 50% all winter and summer long. It's predictable savings for unpredictable Texas weather. That's a big deal, right, Texas weather? Oh, I love being unpredictable. You enjoying a 65-degree December day? Sleet storm! Or in the summer? Whoo! Heat index of 111! (laughs) (laughs) Yep, unpredictable. Hailstorm! Just kidding! Predictable savings during unpredictable seasons. Season Pass. Only from TXU Energy. Tap the banner now to learn more.